Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. edition of the show before the show podcast the official podcast of minor league baseball we got a lot to get to today some very cool minor league baseball news uh as we welcome you into this week's episode my name is tyler mon just benjamin hill in new york city hi ben hi tyler yeah this is strange usually when you uh do your intro then sam and i kind of awkwardly stare at each other to decide <laughs> who's going to speak first but today there is uh no such issue because i am by myself with our good friend samuel p in uh beautiful florida checking out the uh, spring training action and of course follow him on twitter and uh make sure you know what is it sam dyster milb right and, uh you know check out what he's up to and check out uh milb.com or more specifically mlb pipeline to see everything he's up to anyway we're not here to promote sam right we're here to uh, have a great conversation <laughs> i'm looking up uh who sam dykstra is oh and it's a lady named samantha dykstra who has not tweeted since 2013 um because he's at sam dykstra milb and i was thinking like why doesn't he you know at some point maybe just swap that over she uh her bio lists her as being in panama city florida maybe he could just swing by you're like, hey, can I have the Twitter handle? <laughs> <laughs> we got to mention that to him. Sam, Sam, take this in your own hands. Have a see if you can hit up, uh, you can hit up Samantha Dykstra in Panama City, Florida. See what you can do. Uh, well, a lot to get to today, as noted. I got a, a couple of housekeeping um, items first. If you hear uh, what sounds like a, let's just say, a dog's paw smacking a plastic cone uh, that would be my foster dog bandit's paw smacking his plastic cone. He got fixed on Monday. Uh, he has not yet figured out that he can't scratch his face through the cone. So like 10 times a day, he tries scratching his little noggin and he smacks the cone. And it's, it's very interesting acoustic uh, background info. Um, two, I probably sound worse than normal today because uh, I'm in the process of selling my house. So I'm actually, uh, there are showings all weekend. So I'm actually over at my mom's house uh, staying for a few days and forgot my microphone. So I'm just doing it through the, uh, the laptop mic. So now, you know, as uh bandit's bringing his bone over, he wants everybody to see the, the exciting uh, Nyla bone that he's got. So anyway, uh, let's dive in. We got so much to get to on this week's episode of the show before the show. And we start with a big item of news from minor league baseball's past, which is now once again, 
mercifully, minor league baseball is present. All minor league names for individual circuits, the 11 leagues that comprise the player development system known as minor league baseball, have returned for 2022. Last year, of course, there were regional geographic names uh, for all of the minor league levels, AAA East, AAA West, etc. All of that gone. The historic league names have returned. So... Those are, of course, at the AAA level, the International League and the Pacific Coast League, AA Eastern League, Southern League, and Texas League, uh, High A, the Midwest League, the Northwest League, and the South Atlantic League, and uh, what is now known as Single A, no longer Low A, the California League, the Carolina League, and the Florida State League. Uh, I am gleeful about the return of these names. Uh, There were a lot more things that went on behind the scenes last year. With the the renaming of those leagues, it wasn't just, well, they changed the league names. There was a lot of stuff with the the legal ramifications of getting everything licensed and uh, all of that with trademarks and, um, you know, and copyrighted things that were um, not available for the 2021 season. But thankfully, all of this has returned for 2022, and uh, I could not be happier. There is so much minor league history tied into every one of these league names. Uh, The leagues and their fans and their teams deserve to be able to continue to embrace and you know, further develop that history. I think this is just a, a fantastic development, Ben. Oh, no, 100%. Um, you know, I made that point on Twitter yesterday. I know in the larger context of being a baseball fan or a sports fan, uh, reverting back to historical names in minor league baseball might not really be on the radar. But, you know, for those of us who really, you know, make a living in minor league baseball or, who are, you know, work for teams and who are fans, uh, it just means a lot to have that historical continuity uh, throughout, and it just feels better to talk about the International League instead of the AAA East, and to be able to have um, you know a direct tie-in and reference point for long, long league histories, like in the International League's case, established 1884. Um, you know, I wrote a story about this um, about all the changes on MLB pipeline. You can check out that out for a breakdown. But, you know, the average age of these leagues is approximately 85 years old. I mean, the average league has been around for a long time. So there's so much history. And to be able to refer to them by these proper names is excellent. Um, Of course, they've all changed somewhat since the last time they went by these names because minor league baseball changed a lot and how it was restructured. Um, You know, up through 2020, there were uh, 14 minor leagues and uh, four of those were short season and there were 10 full season leagues. Now we no longer have short season leagues, but we have 11 full season leagues. So, um, and that is because the Northwest league, which used to be short season now is a uh, full, full season league. So there you have it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot to get into here. Um, the general makeup of these leagues will be familiar in most cases to those who followed them in the past. Um, but yeah, changes abound. And, uh, you know, a lot of those are changes that went into effect last year when they had the, the geographic names. Um, yeah, so let's go through it and just kind of, uh, you know, share some memories and just be glad that these league names are back. You know, we start with the, the AAA International League, you know, of course, which has not been international for a long time, but in its past it has had teams in uh, Cuba and in Canada. Uh, the International League now has 20 teams, all 14 teams that used to be in the International League, uh, as well as uh, AAA, uh, sorry, the uh, St. Paul Saints, who are now a AAA team instead of independent ball, uh, four specific, uh, four previous PCL clubs, Pacific Coast League, Iowa, Memphis, Nashville, and Omaha are all in the International League. Jacksonville, which had been a double A team, is in the right. International League. Uh, and um, 
you know, the international leagues, you know, had a team in Pawtucket. That team is of course now in Worcester, the Worcester Red Sox. So uh, 20 teams, that's as big of a league as we've ever known in minor league baseball, but it's got those 14 core teams uh, that were, you know, have been part of the league for a long time. And there's roots in this league with certain franchises like, you know, Toledo, uh, Jacksonville, or not Jacksonville, excuse me, uh, Toledo, um, Buffalo, Columbus, uh, Rochester, you know, that go back decades and decades. And uh, this is a great league. And of course, when I think about it, you know, a lot of history and probably the most notable historical event, 1946 in the International League, when it was truly international, the Montreal Royals had Jackie Robinson on the team. Uh, and he played that season in Montreal before debuting with Brooklyn the following year. His only minor league baseball season. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about both these AAA leagues is they each kind of refer to their heritage with the name in ways that no longer apply to the leagues themselves. The International League is no longer international. Pacific Coast League really only has one team on the coast anymore, and that's Tacoma. Um, and Tacoma actually was the team that was behind uh, the creation of the Pacific Coast League's new logo, which is uh, fully uh, <laughs> a big step forward from the last one. The last logo, I think uh, anyone could admit, was kind of lame. It basically just said AAA baseball. There was very little acknowledgement that it was the Pacific Coast League's logo. Uh, but the new PCL mark, which was started by Tacoma and then finished off by uh, the design staff at, at Major League Baseball, uh, Pacific Coast League, established 1903 in a, a Navy roundel around uh, a geographic landscape that has the Pacific Ocean in the foreground and then evergreen trees, a red rock formation, palm trees and mountains in the background. And all of that is to um, symbolize the various geographic regions of the PCL these days, uh, which is really cool. Yeah, the International League was founded in 1884. The Pacific Coast League was founded in 1903. Uh, the PCL now 10 teams has been noted 20 uh, in the International League. PCL, a much smaller circuit with 10 teams. But this is one of, if not the most historic uh, league among minor league baseball circuits. This is a league that back when Major League Baseball was localized to essentially the East Coast uh, and then a little bit into the Midwest, uh, the Pacific Coast League was kind of a third major league. That's always been the, the designation of the PCL's roots. And uh, to be able to get that name back, get the International League's name back, is just such a tremendous step uh, for fans and for, uh, you know, ownership and, and management and um, the baseball community that loves the minor leagues. There was um, not a whole lot of emotion tied to the name AAA West, we'll say. Uh, but for Tacoma, kind of fittingly, the oldest team uh, in the PCL, which was established in 1960 and played in the Pacific Coast League every season of its franchise history, with the exception of last year, they won the only AAA West title. So you kind of wonder if at some point all of those records and the marks and all that stuff will just kind of be folded into the history of the minor leagues uh, as they now once again exist, um, or if they'll stand out there as sort of an odd duck season in 2021. Um, but very cool stuff. And, you know, obviously two of the most historic names uh, at the AAA level in the International League and the Pacific Coast League. Double uh, A, the Eastern League, the Southern League, and the Texas League, two leagues that trace their roots back to the 1880s, the Southern League 1885, Texas League 1888, and the Eastern League, uh, which is the young circuit, the junior circuit among those. It was founded in 1923, so it's coming up on 100 years. Uh, this will be 100 seasons. Well, technically, I guess 99 with the cancellation of uh, the 2020 season, but um, a lot of good stuff uh, out of those three circuits in the Double the A level. What what are the things that you think of most when you think of the Eastern, Southern, and Texas leagues, Ben? 
Yeah, great leagues all around, and um, you know, not a ton of changes overall. Eastern League, um, the only new team to the Eastern League uh, compared to how it exists now versus 2020 is the Trenton Thunder uh, were replaced as the Yankees Double A affiliate with the Somerset Patriots, another Central Jersey entity. But beyond that, uh, the makeup of that league is um, you know very stable. And uh, you know, Binghamton Rumble Ponies, we did a segment on them a couple weeks ago. Um, just what, what it's like to play baseball in Binghamton. Uh, Hartford Yard Goats, Reading Fighting Phils. Tyler, your old stomping grounds of Altoona, home of the curve. And as was pointed out on Twitter yesterday, uh, the immortal Altoona, thir- Altoona Curve theme song, Baseball, Double A, Eastern League Baseball. Yeah, it's back. It's back. It it's makes back. sense so now. Now it's not Double A Northeast Baseball, ask our fans. It's it's Double uh, A Eastern League Baseball like it was meant to be in Altoona. Uh, you know, the Southern League, again, huge roots. That one is, again, very similar to how it used to be. Um, there are now eight teams, only eight teams in the league. You know, Jackson Generals are no longer in the league. Uh, the Rocket City Trash Pandas played their first season in 2021. Uh, they had relocated from Mobile, so they are officially playing in the Southern League for the first time. And, again, a lot of uh, really old franchises in that league, especially Birmingham, Chattanooga, uh, you know, places where minor league baseball roots go to the 19th century. Same thing with the Texas League. Uh, very familiar. Of course, it's not just teams in Texas, um, but more teams are in the Texas League that are there are more Texas based teams in the Texas League than any other state. So at least it has that going for it. Uh, you know, Wichita, the wind surge, they played their first season uh, last year, double A affiliate of the Twins. So now Wichita is a Texas League team. And uh, that marks the first time that Wichita has had a team uh, in the Texas League since the Wranglers packed up and moved to uh, Springdale, Arkansas, home of the Northwest Arkansas Naturals. So good to have Texas League baseball back in Wichita. And that is the only minor league baseball team in all of Kansas. The uh, high A level, which, of course, was formerly known as Class A Advanced, uh, now is high A, the Midwest League, the Northwest League, and the South Atlantic League. Uh, the Midwest League and the Northwest League, founded in 1947 and 1955. South Atlantic League is as old as the Pacific Coast League and, of course, is one of the most hallowed leagues in all minor league baseball as well. I don't know if I have ever noticed this about the South Atlantic League's logo, but, of course, we have a new appreciation for all these logos that, that are back uh, for 2022. The League of Choice. The League of Choice, a slogan that uh, I'm not sure I was ever aware of before. The League of Choice, that is outstanding. How did I never yeah. – maybe I've recognized that at some point, but that stood out to me yesterday. It's funny. Someone mentioned that on Twitter yesterday. You know, So glad the League of Choice is back, and it, and it sounded so familiar, and I was like, wait, what was the League of Choice? And I was reminded it was the South Atlantic League, and then it came rushing back, and then looking at the logo, I was like, it still says the League of Choice. And um, I, I wish I remembered who it was on Twitter, but – um, he informed me that he thinks that that motto, that slogan can be traced directly back to John Henry Moss, who was the president of the South Atlantic League uh, for decades and decades and decades, well into his 80s. Uh, he passed away, I want to say within the last decade. Um, but now every ballpark in the league, or at least did, you know, have a John Henry Moss plaque. And uh, it is still I am proud to say the league of choice, but yeah, every high A league right now, Midwest, Northwest and South Atlantic, those were all different classifications. The last time they existed, Midwest and South Atlantic were class A, um, which is now called single A, which had been called low A here. Keep up with us here. 
And the Northwest League, as we mentioned before, was a uh, short season circuit that is now full season. And that there's only six teams in that league, but they'd all previously existed in the short season form. Um, the Northwest League, by the way, I believe is the next newest logo outside of the Pacific Coast League uh, and friend of the podcast, Todd Radom, uh, designed that logo. We had him on to talk about it um, a couple of years ago. Actually, we may have had Todd on just to talk about it. He also did the Southern League and the Appalachian League's logos. The Appy League, of course, now no longer an affiliated league um, in minor league baseball, but a lot of uh, fresh new marks uh, across minor league baseball. Only one for the re- return of these names in 2022, but uh, some fresh new logos. One of those is one of the three single A leagues. So again, these leagues used to be known as class A advanced. They all then dropped down to what was last year known as low A, although they weren't known by these league names. And now they are known as single A, but that is the California league, the Carolina league and the Florida state league. Um, Three leagues, which used to be the only class A advanced circuits. Now they've dropped down uh, to single A, but these are kind of the entry grounds uh, for prospects uh, away from the complexes. So away from, uh, well, not in the case of the Florida State League, of course, but uh, away from <laughs> short season ball with the, the rookie ball um, level squads in Arizona and Florida. Um, the Cal League founded in 1941, Carolina League 1945, the Florida State League founded all the way back in 1919. Uh, these have had some geographic realignments in recent years and not just due to the overall minor league baseball realignment, um, but, you know, teams that have moved uh, in the Florida State League, a couple of teams that were added to the Carolina League from the California League. Those have been shifted around ever since now. Uh, there's a former AAA team that is now in the single-A California League in Fresno. So there's a lot of stuff that has changed with these leagues since they were last known by these names. Uh, but again, another great um, swath of names to have back. Yeah, I mean, California League and Florida State League, you know, California League, all California teams, not a ton of recent changes uh, outside of Fresno, as Tyler just mentioned, and Florida State League, again, uh, a lot of venerable franchises in that league, um, all of whom play in the major league spring training facilities, except for the Daytona Tortugas, where we have seen the most shifting uh, of teams between leagues is a lot of shifting between the Carolina league and the South Atlantic league um, is where there's been a lot of recent changes. You know, the uh, South Atlantic league now has three former New York Penn league teams, Aberdeen, Brooklyn, and Hudson Valley, two former Carolina league teams, Wilmington and Winston Salem and the Bowling Green hot rods, which were formerly in the Midwest league, but who started out originally in the South Atlantic league. So they've come full circle. And likewise, the Carolina league, um, Augusta, Charleston, Columbia, Delmarva, and Kannapolis were all previously in the South Atlantic League, and uh, the Fredericksburg, Fredericksburg Nationals are also in the Carolina League, and uh, that team played their first season in 2021 after relocating from Woodbridge, Virginia, where they were known as the Potomac Nationals and played at the immortal Fitz, Richard Fitz. Stadium, the Fitz. Um, so I know we just... Between the two of us, we just covered a lot. I know it's hard to keep track of. Check out MILB.com for the official press release, uh, MLB Pipeline for my article trying to break it down. Um, I know there's a lot of specifics to maybe get used to or try to, to figure out, but at its core, these historic league names are back. Almost all the leagues have strong correlation uh, to what had come before, and uh, it's great to see this continuity in the history and traditions of minor league baseball. Yeah, I'm just thrilled with this news. And uh, yeah, as Ben noted, you can read all that stuff at MILB.com and at MLB Pipeline. And uh, with that, we're going to move on to our uh, our next 
round of discussion for the opening segment of this week's episode of the show before the show and sucks for you sam you don't get to be here for it last week we had so much fun talking about upcoming promotions at the triple a level in 2022 uh this week we're gonna do double a and sam's missing out on it so ben you and i get to riff about all the fun double a promotions yeah let's riff this is gonna be some great riffs you know black sabbath level riffs um (laughs) yeah you know and speaking of black sabbath i should not go on a um tangent here but you know we often tape these episodes uh the new york based among us by myself and sam who's usually here with me as you know uh but we tape right across the street from radio city and often when i'm walking towards one of the conference rooms the ra is cut off in the radio city signage which is vertical and i just see dio dio that makes me think of Black Sabbath because after Ozzy left, you know, they did two uh, phenomenal albums, uh, Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules with Ronnie James Dio as the lead singer. So I often just see the D.I.O. on the Radio City sign. And I like to think of it as a tribute to the late, great Ronnie James Dio. But anyway, we were talking about double A promo schedules, riffing on it. That's how we got started on that riff. I apologize. Um, Sam cannot be here with us and neither is Josh Jackson. And I say that because I want to start in talking about double A promos in, uh, Josh Jackson's home state, Maine, where the Portland Sea Dogs reside and they've got a great promo schedule. And maybe there are other teams that have three different food-based identities all on one season's calendar, but I haven't seen it yet, except for in Portland who are going to be the whoopie pies. The Red Snappers, you know, which is the main hot dog. It's a red hot dog. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the Bean Suppas. The Bean Suppas. The Bean Suppas. And I guess a Red Snapper, could, you could combine this into one meal for sure. The Bean Suppas with some Red Snapper Franks and a Whoopie's Pie for dessert. But I have yeah. three different food-themed identities on one promo schedule. Uh, that is really unique. Also, shout out to the Portland Sea Dogs. You know, minor league baseball, they're community organizations in a lot of ways. And we see a lot of promos um, paying tribute to people in the community. But they have a bus driver appreciation night and a dentist night. And, uh, you know, pretty cool. They're not as appreciated as often. I particularly like bus drivers because, uh, you know, they're getting people to their destination safely. It can't be an easy job. And let's appreciate bus drivers. Just like the nowadays when for the last two years, they've been dealing with, uh, you know, driving around in a pandemic and being in an enclosed space with people. And yeah, good for the, good for the sea dogs to recognize civil servants like those who pilot our public transport. That's very cool. Yeah. April 21st, Portland sea dogs, bus driver appreciation night. We got to get Josh Jackson out there to cover it and uh, interview some bus drivers. Yeah. I said that jokingly, but then actually, I think that'd be great. I'd love that to see like a great idea. an article on uh, Portland yeah. bus drivers. Uh, then we got the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, still in New England, Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, they've got a new bat dog, Benny the Bat Dog, and he's making his debut on May 13th. So if you're into bat dogs, check out Benny. Is he <laughs> named after uh, Benny the Jet Rodriguez from the Sandlot? That's a good question. I don't know. We'll have to look into that. But uh, got to do some digging like a yeah, new dog. <laughs> Sounds uh, <laughs> likely to me. And speaking of food themed identities, uh, we talked about this months ago, but they are going to be the Manchester chicken tenders on June right. 4th because allegedly chicken tenders were invented in Manchester. Um, I say allegedly, I shouldn't say it with so much skepticism, but you do find with a lot of these origin stories, they get a little murky. But Manchester, I believe, is a certain restaurant in Manchester, New Hampshire, has been sell- selling chicken tenders since the very beginning and perhaps really did invent them. So that's a great uh, food-themed alternate identity. 
uh, Binghamton Rumble Ponies. We had Eddie Saunders on from Binghamton a couple of weeks ago, talked about some of their promos. Um, if you remember when they changed their name to the Rumble Ponies, uh, there were other semi-final or finalists in the name of team contest. One of them was Stud Muffins and the Rumble Ponies still do uh, Stud Muffin promos. They will be the Stud Muffins on June 25th with a Bobble Muffin giveaway. So I can imagine what a Bobble Muffin might look like. Got to be the top of the muffin, right? Like in the Seinfeld episode, top of the muffin to you. It just has to be, I would imagine it's just that above like the, the little foil part. That that's, sounds like you have a good visualization process. <laughs> Put a lot of thought into this. How would I make a muffin into a bobble? A bobble stud muffin, June 25th. And of course, they will once again be the speedies on multiple occasions celebrating the Binghamton specialty that is a speedy marinated cubes of meat skewered, um, served on a roll. Very famous in, in Binghamton. So they will be the speedies. Um, let's move on to... Where should we move on? Maybe Tyler, Tyler, I mean, I know you're not necessarily a young man, but you're younger than me. So I'm not, I mean, I'm not I, young. That is true. Yes. I mean, I did not mean that to be insulting because I only <laughs> said that in the context of me being even older. We don't have our 30, whatever Sam is, 31 year old around to, to make us both feel old. So that's good at least. Yeah. He's like a child compared to me. He I don't is. mean to sound condescending, but sometimes I feel like Sam is, I don't want to say my son, <laughs> but maybe my nephew, you know, like a much younger brother, a nephew. younger brother. Maybe that's better. No, Sam's a very, uh, Sam is wise beyond his years. Sometimes he feels like, yeah, sometimes he actually feels older than me. Anyway, Dame Drops. Do you know who Dame Drops is? Uh, I remember that name, but I don't remember anything about that name. Yeah, he's a very social connected uh, influencer. I wish I knew more about him, but I know the Yard Goats last year in Hartford. Wait, that's why I know that name. He's the food guy. Yeah. The food guy who was in the Burger King commercials uh, for some sandwich that they rolled out. But they had, yes, Hartford had a a food stand that was entirely uh, food of his creation last year. Exactly. And they were very, like, creative, uh, over-the-top things. I think recipes he'd maybe uh, initially come up with in viral, you know, internet videos. But now he's getting his own bobblehead, May 31st. So if you know more about Dame Drops or is it Dime Drops, I, I don't even know. But that Dame, bobblehead. I believe is correct, Dame. Yeah. That bobblehead drops on May 31st. That's pretty cool. Good for that guy. Yeah, so that's a pretty cool thing. And then June 30th, about a month later, the Yard Goats are staging There's Nothing to Do in Hartford Night. And on the promo schedule, There's Nothing to Do in Hartford is written in that SpongeBob SquarePants alternating uh, lower and uppercase, which when you do that on the internet, you know, you're, you're being sarcastic and mocking. So right. Right. Uh, it's called, there's nothing to do in Hartford night, but rest assured that will be dedicated to all the things there are to do in Hartford and making fun of the naysayers. And if you need any inspiration for any of that, you can check out our Dunkin' Donuts park ballpark guide, which is uh, at milb.com slash fan slash ballpark dash guide. hundred percent. And uh, the fixed, <laughs> The fixed canine behind you agrees to check out minor league ballpark. Guys. I was wondering how clearly that came through. <laughs> uh, the Akron rubber ducks. Uh, I think they're the most Western Eastern league team. Uh, they always do a, a lot of great promos. Uh, April 29th is Rob Thomas appreciation night. And that's not Rob Thomas, the lead singer of uh, oh, that's too Matchbox, bad. 
I was like, are they funny. just going to play smooth by him and Carlos Santana the entire night? Like the, the whole stretch of pop culture from like 2000 to 2002. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Rob Thomas night, they, they do get that song uh, <laughs> in, but Rob Thomas, and this is something that the, uh, the, the rubber ducks have done every year for a while. I think it started with just choosing literally a random fan or just someone in the phone book and dedicating a night to them. Now they do it with season ticket holders, but they have like a drawing among season ticket holders and just make one night that person's like night. So Rob Thomas, whoever he may be in Akron, we know he's a season ticket holder. He gets his own night. Uh, I've always thought more teams should do that kind of promo of just. That is a very cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. And literally every team can do it. Talk about adaptability. Like every team could do it. Um, Rob Thomas is being, appreciated on april 29th the very next day is just in case night with an underwear giveaway emergency underwear giveaway on just in case night and then in the promo description the team says one lucky fan in addition to this underwear everyone will get will win a stained like a special stained pair and i was just like is lucky in quotes there yeah i don't know how lucky you are if you win a (laughs) pair of uh, stained underwear but Head to Akron on just in case night, get some emergency underwear, and maybe win a special stained pair while you're at it. Or maybe it's uh, an S T A I N D pair, like that terrible other early 2000s band. There you go. Stains underwear. Stain. What was their big song? Yeah, good question. It was, uh, uh, oh man. Uh, Oh, and it's been a while since I. Yeah. I want to say that I saw the lead singer of Stained open for Willie Nelson, but I'll have to look wow, into that. I'll random. have to look into that. But I think he like had a spinoff career into more of a country wow. owner. Interesting. That also um, uh, upon a quick Google, uh, Stained was formed in 1995. Wow. They were uh, they were definitely. Uh, I was not aware of Stained until like the mid 2000s when I think they had a song breakthrough. Uh, but in that vein, I once saw Kings of Leon open for Bob Dylan. Like talk about random crossovers. <laughs> that dude opened for Willie Nelson, Kings of Leon for Bob. There's some weird touring musical acts. Anyway. There really are. So speaking of Stained, get some Stained underwear in Akron on April 30th. They're this is what we meant by riffing. Yeah, this is, this is a riff, you know, you're either on board or you're not. Akron has a lot of other great stuff, but in the interest of time, let's just uh, let's just keep moving through, keep moving on um, until we find what? Until we find well, the Altoona Curve. I mean, Tyler used to be a uh, Tyler who's being attacked by a dog, by a cone wearing dog, as we speak right now. Cone wearing dog. (laughs) The Altoona Curve. Let's see, they're wearing Mountain City jerseys uh, all throughout the year on uh, one day of the week, which would I forget what day it is, but uh, whatever June 2nd is, June 16th, uh, August 4th, and so on, whatever day of the week that is, they're wearing Mountain City jerseys, like a new, I believe that's like a that new is a Thursday. Yeah, Thursday nights. I think that's a new uh, alternate identity. Uh, it doesn't look like they brought Yinzers back, but that was a alternate identity they had in the past, you know, uh, referencing their Pittsburgh affiliation and Yins being a uh, the Pittsburgh version of y'all, essentially. But right. no Yinzers, but Mountain City, huh. Mountain City in Altoona this year. And uh, hopefully they'll have a former broadcaster's appreciation day. And, yeah. Uh, Me and, uh, and Mike Passanisi, we could make the trip back. Yeah, go get some Texas go. hot dogs. I, I think this needs to happen. Um, moving on to Harrisburg, um, Harrisburg Senators, 
Um, you know, one of the great things about the Harrisburg Senators in recent years, uh, starting about five or six years ago, is that they began their life-size bobblehead Hall of Fame. And right. so every, every person in the team Hall of Fame has a life-size bobblehead that's on the concourse. Vlad Guerrero Sr. Uh, was the first inductee, and he actually attended his uh, induction ceremony. Uh, in, in other years, I think we've had who we've had Ryan Zimmerman, I believe, Matt Stairs, uh, a couple other, you know, prominent uh, Nash, Nationals players. So this year, it doesn't have, a, you know, the national appeal of some of those names, but they are inducting a local sports journalist, Greg Mace, to the life-size bobblehead Hall of Fame. That's so pretty cool. That is pretty cool. It's not maybe one that I'll write about or we'll talk about much because Greg Mace, I think, is specific to Harrisburg. But I think that's really cool. And, you know, as you and I both know, as the years have gone on, you know, dedicated media coverage in market of minor league teams is increasingly hard to come by with today's newspaper climate, local news. And uh, I know a lot of teams feel like, you know, we're right here. They, they, they like more coverage. And, um, you know, that sense of having more of a beat reporter or someone who's really a ballpark presence who, uh, you know, works all season long to write about how the team is doing is, is a comparative rarity these days. I don't know the specifics of Greg Mace's career, but I'm sure he spent a lot of time in Harrisburg with the Senators covering AA Eastern League Baseball. And I think it's a cool person to honor. And uh, let's see, keep going, keep going. So we could just talk forever about double A promos. Um, the Tulsa Drillers are bringing back uh, Noodlers Weekend. I believe we talked about that uh, last year yeah. at some point, but noodling, noodlers are men and women in you know Oklahoma and I'm sure beyond. Noodling is catching a catfish, I believe, with your bare hands. Yeah, it's like a certain um, tactic of how you uh, essentially lure the fish in, I think, if I remember correctly. I did some reading about it when I uh, wrote about Tulsa recently, but I, I don't have a whole lot of information on the noodling. Yeah, well, any noodlers out there, uh, you want to get yeah, in touch? Let us know, podcast at MILB.com. Uh, let's move from Oklahoma to Texas. The Frisco Rough Riders uh, always have a packed promo schedule. We talked about their Dallas Black Giants uh, promos a couple weeks ago on the podcast where they'll be suiting up as a Dallas area Negro League team. And um, But how about this? April 23rd, which I believe is uh, you know, one of their final home games in the month of April. April 23rd is it's going to be May night with Chris Kirkpatrick of NSYNC. Wow. Yeah, so it's going to be May. I don't know all about this, but there's an NSYNC song that yeah. the lyric is it's going to be me, but the right. joke came online that it sounds like it's going to be May. So for years on the cusp of May, people you know, post pictures of you know Justin Timberlake and say it's going to be May. You know, the Rough Riders obviously couldn't get Timberlake out <laughs> to the ballpark, but it's going to be May night has Chris Kirkpatrick. And a settle for Chris Kirkpatrick. <laughs> well, I can just remember the, uh, well, there's a there's a line in an Eminem song where it refers to Chris Kirkpatrick getting uh, part of him's anatomy kicked. Uh, that is honestly my first uh, association with him as well. Same, same. I would not uh, have remembered who Chris Kirkpatrick was part of. Sorry, Chris. But, hey, you know, there's a lot of people who remember him, you know, in sync yeah. really of our time or for us demographically but i'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are going to be overjoyed to meet chris kirkpatrick that is true that is true there's going to be a lot of uh of millennial music fans who will be at that at that uh, dr pepper ballpark that night 
100%. And uh, so that's April 23rd. It's going to be May. And uh, moving through, moving through, moving through, moving through, moving through. Pensacola, Blue Wahoos. Again, lots of great stuff. Um, you know, we have this slow gestating idea to have some sort of, uh, you know, uh, segment devoted to uh, on-field hosts and, uh, you know, how well, well they're dressed and how well they do their routines. We'll get that eventually. But I bring that up just to say that uh, I believe the Pensacola Blue Wahoos are the only team giving away a bobblehead of their on-field MC. Come out June 17th for a downtown Dave bobblehead if you're a big fan of between inning MCs, as we all are. Um, another really interesting or I'm sure um, coveted bobblehead they'll be doing is September 16th as part of their 10th anniversary celebration weekend way at the end of the season. They're giving away a Watson and Watson bobblehead. Watson is a bubble Watson professional golfer, Pensacola uh, resident and part owner of the blue Wahoos Watson and Watson. The other Watson is the team's dog who is named after Bubba Watson. So ah, Watson, like and Watson bobblehead featuring the golfer and the team bat dog together. Watson and Watson, September 16th at the Pensacola Blue Wahoos ballpark. So, um, you know, we could just keep going on and on and on with these uh, promos, but I feel like that was a, a pretty good riffing section. So, There's some very good ones. There are some very good ones. And uh, yeah, the uh, high A promotions calendar will be coming up next week. And then single A uh, the week before opening day, as crazy as that is, we're getting closer and closer to the start of the 2022 minor league baseball season. Um, I did just Google Eminem, Chris Kirkpatrick beef. <laughs> and apparently there wasn't really a beef. It just happened to rhyme. And Chris Kirkpatrick thinks it's very cool that he gets dissed in an Eminem song. It's in the song Without Me, by the way, which was 20 years old now. I think that came out in 2001. Bandit agrees. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted the quote from that song, but I really can't think of anything in that whole stretch of lyrics that would be appropriate for this uh, family-oriented right. <laughs> podcast. But I believe it was around that time uh, that Eminem was at the MTV Video Music Awards and of his many beefs, this is one of the most hilarious. Um, he had a beef with Triumph the Insult comic dog. Right! Yes! That was a classic. It's a classic. I bet you can still find all of that on YouTube. Uh, Triumph. What a what a genius character. Why has anybody Absolutely. had a Triumph night yet? There's no Triumph the Insult comic dog night? That would be amazing. If that you would be. Triumph out to the ballpark, you know, with his handler, Robert Smigel. That yeah. would be unbelievable i'm sure conan would swing by the cal league team somebody's got to somebody close to los angeles has got to be able to make that happen conan probably and this is the value of riffing one riff leads right. to another, and now we have a phenomenal idea for a minor league promo you're welcome Triumph inland empire insult. 66ers yeah there you go get out triumph rancho cucamonga quakes i'm assuming <laughs> it's gonna happen we just willed it into existence i like it uh and again as we say Year after year, this is our eighth season of this podcast. The door is open to a the show before the show podcast night uh, at any minor league ballpark. If you want to fly us out, uh, we only accept chartered jets uh, and uh, the highest quality of five-star hotels. Those are just in our demands. But, um, you know, any team that wants to make it happen, we're, we're happy to, to join you. Yeah, 100%. And, um, you know, that, of course, would – there'd be a bobblehead giveaway in relation to that. But if you do want to save money, 
Uh, you could make the bobblehead of myself and Tyler, and then just on the base in parentheses, write like also Sam Dykstra, and that's good enough. Yeah, I think that's a good plan. I think it probably costs uh, prohibitively more to make it a three-person bobblehead. So just make me and Ben, and then the plaque can have Sam's name and say absent on the day when this idea came up, Sam Dykstra. <laughs> that sucks for him. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a great plan. Um, but you can read uh, more about these things. And of course, the return of the minor league names at MILB.com and uh, at MLB Pipeline as well. And uh, that'll do it for our opening segment this week. He will join us. Samuel P. Dykstra will join the show from Florida where he is exploring Grapefruit League parks and uh, talking and seeing prospects and uh, getting into the swing of baseball season as we are uh, just about three weeks away from minor league opening day. Sam Dykstra joins the show coming up next. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Our first segment today uh, with one Benjamin Hill, I described that uh, my foster dog Bandit may, you may hear him scratching at his cone or he shakes and you can hear his cone. Now that we've moved into segment number two, he has picked up that same bone that he was chewing in segment number one, but he's now laying right next to me chewing the bone. So we got some good gnat sound, as they say, uh, for segment number two of the show before the show podcast, where we are joined by... The one and only Sam Dykstra from the sunshine state of Florida. I recently wrote a story in which I referred to California as the sunshine state for some reason. Uh, and uh, I was dumb. Florida's the actual one. Hi, Sam. How is it down there? Sunshiny? Doesn't look like it. No, it does not. Uh, it is gray. It has been a typical Florida spring, I will say. I feel like I can set my watch to the rainstorm that, that blows in uh, late afternoon all the time and uh, you know, it's a heck of a thing to get a tornado warning while you're driving down the street. Uh, every device I have just going off to saying seek shelter immediately. Yeah, um, yeah, but no, it's good. It's good. It's it's good to be down here. It, you can sense it amongst everybody I talk to, and we'll get into this later. Um, whether it's fellow reporters, whether it's coaches, whether it's instructors, coordinators, um, people on the major league side, people on the minor league side. Spring is here. Like it, it is a full blown spring training here. Like even us reporters are allowed into the clubhouse. And I know that's a little too inside baseball, but that's not a thing reporters could do in 2021. Um, it really helps with the rela relationships. And um, obviously it's the thing we couldn't do in 2020 either. So um, it, it feels as close to regular spring training as it's been since, you know, those, those days in mid-March 2020. And I love it. Well, we got a lot to uh, dive into on this week's uh, episode of the show before the show on the baseball on-field side of things, obviously talking promos and uh, the return of the minor league uh, circuit names with Ben. Um, Sam, before we get into all of uh, the on-field stuff this week, your thoughts on the return of the minor league team names. We're both you know, guys who are in love with the history of baseball and the traditions of baseball and all that. Getting the names back just feels like uh, a win. And, uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of, of uh, 
Kevin Malone in the episode of The Office where he says, just feels good to win one. Uh, you know, there's been a lot <laughs> stacked against minor league baseball in uh, the last couple of years with the pandemic and uh, shortened seasons and limited crowds and the restructuring and all of that. To get the league names back feels very good. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, speaking of normalcy, right? Like what I was just saying about what spring training feels like, being able to call it the Pacific Coast League and not having to catch myself is amazing. Yeah. Um, yes, it's still weird to call the Pacific Coast League, the Pacific Coast League, when it extends well into the country. I get that. Uh, and the Texas League is limited to Texas, and the Carolina League isn't you know, necessarily limited to, to the Carolinas. And now we have this. Isn't international. The South Atlantic League goes as far north as the Hudson Valley, right. crying out loud, which is not really south, but still, it feels good and right. Um, and it, you know, <laughs> I'm sure Ben brought this up because Ben loves this type, type of stuff. But now it just makes the 2021 season such an anomaly. Uh, and you're looking back at the record books and it's going to be like, you know, when it was yeah. called AAA East, like that's just a, a small nugget of history now, which is kind of cool in itself. And right. I'm sure there will be, you know, the versions of us in 2040 will be looking about, at that and writing stories for whatever the internet looks like then. And just being like, remember the year when it was AAA East? Um, but yeah, just going back to all these leagues, it, you could tell from fans, you could tell from the teams that they were all excited to be back in that kind of sense. It, it just feels so much more like a community when it's sometimes it's, it's location-based, but it's um, it's its own brand and not just a geographical direction. Um, so I'm a big fan. I'm, I love it. Um, no more calling anything the old Texas league. It's the current and future Texas league. And it's uh yeah. Thank, thank you for asking me about that. Cause yeah. I, I'm, I was really bummed to miss out on that conversation this week. Like the one week I, I go on the road, um, that would have been a really fun segment to be a part of, but yeah, no, I, I'm everything you guys said, I'm sure in the last segment, I will echo 10 times over. It was all, it was all perfect and brilliant as you would imagine. Of course. Uh, Cause that's what we do around here. Uh, so with that, let's dive into some baseball stuff. The last time that we talked to you on uh, this very podcast was the day that an agreement was reached between Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association to end the lockout uh, that had been uh, in place for the last few months and mercifully bring on the start of not only spring training, but the 2022 season. A week late, but that's fine. We'll handle better late than never start the season. Um, there were so many things in the CBA negotiations that impact uh, the way that prospects move to the major leagues, um, the the pay that those prospects will get uh, when they get to the major league level, their free agency, um, their time in the, in their first organizations, all that type of stuff. Sam, just give us your biggest takeaways from what the CBA means for the next generation of ballplayers. There was that great story about Max Scherzer in the New York Times in which the, the premise was kind of Max Scherzer has been served very well by the current CBA. What is it that he's fighting for in the next one? And he said, I'm fighting for the next generation. Uh, and it seems like that was one of the most important things on the player's side. What are your biggest takeaways from the agreement that was reached? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's first off, it's just nice to get baseball back and, and to have the two sides uh, get together and come to an agreement that's going to get us 162 major league uh, baseball season. I know, you know, our focus here is on the minor leagues, but the fact that, again, we could all use some dose of normalcy, 162 is normal. We're going to have that. That's huge. Um, in terms of what impact it's going to have, you look at, you talk about, you know, raising the minimum salary. That's going to have a real effect on these guys who are playing in their first, second, third years of, you know, major league baseball. If you weren't necessarily a bonus baby and, 
you know, you're coming up making the minimum major league baseball, it's still a good amount of money, but you know, you want money that it's a multi-billion dollar industry. You want a little bit more of that share, especially since historically it's those players in zero to three years who are kind of taken advantage of the most in terms of pay that you can have a really, really good rookie. We've seen it in, in recent years. We saw it last year with like a Wander Franco or, um, you know, a Jonathan India or whoever you want to name who's been a good rookie, they were making minimum salary that first year unless they had signed uh, an extension you know, before they made their major league debut. And they're producing real value for the major league club. Raising the minimum salary allows them to, you know, get a little bit more rewarded because of their, um, you know, of their impact at the top level. Speaking of which, this idea of kind of not necessarily a bonus pool, um, but there being just a, a, a group of money that players are going to be able to tap into before their arbitration years, um, you know, based off where they finish in awards voting, um, based off of some of their war stuff. I, I need to dig a little bit more into that. I've been doing so much spring training and prospect prep. I don't know all the details of it, um, but just having this pool of money that is, again, going to be distributed out to the biggest and most impactful uh, young players, I think is certainly going to be helpful in getting these guys on the right track earlier in their careers. And hopefully that helps produce, you know, longer, more sustainable uh, major league careers. So that's, that's fascinating. The big thing for us is, and the league even said this themselves, trying to address what's called service time manipulation. Um, you know, under the previous CBA and CBAs before that, it might've been in a club's best interest to wait a couple of weeks to bring up a top prospect. Um, because if you, you know, didn't hit a certain amount of days, you would be, your free agency would be delayed a year. So you could play 150 games or not 150 games necessarily, but you could be up for like 140 days, uh, but it wouldn't count towards free agency. So it might be better to delay that. Um, teams will never say that, you know, Chris Bryant filed a, a grievance against that a few years ago and lost in court. But still, you could kind of read tea leaves at times. Now they're trying to address this in the CBA between the agreement that the MLB and the MLBPA uh, came to. Top prospects who finish first or second in rookie of the year voting will automatically receive a full year of service. Um, so if you have somebody who comes up in the middle of the year, Water Franco, <clears throat> to bring it back to him, um, he was a real rookie of the year candidate at, at a certain point last year. I mean, if he had come up in the middle of the year or even earlier, uh, maybe he would really would have threatened that. Now, if he had finished first or second, he would have got a year of service anyways. He didn't get credited for that under the previous CBA, but he got close. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. There's going to be somebody like him coming up. Um, so even if you do come up halfway through the season, you make enough impact. Uh, you could still get a full year of service based off your rookie of the year voting. And also clubs promoting top prospects to opening day rosters will be eligible to receive draft picks if the player finishes in the top three of rookie of the year or top five in MVP or Cy Young voting. This is trying to actively promote um, clubs giving their prospects jobs on the first day of the season. Again, going back to service time manipulation, like it, if you think it's in your best interest to wait, well, maybe now it's not. You are able to get draft picks um, by having somebody on your opening day roster. We're already trying to figure out what that means if a player is injured. Adley Rutschman, uh, you know, news broke within the last two days that he has a triceps injury. Um, it's putting him in jeopardy for opening day, both either with Baltimore or AAA Norfolk. 
Um, so what does that mean for him if he's on the injured list on opening day? Does he still count towards this? Who knows? But you're looking at like the Tigers with Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. Now it is in their best interest to have those guys on the roster no matter what on opening day. We'll see how the spring goes. Maybe they'll struggle. Maybe there's going to be a reason to send them back to Toledo. But those two guys are talented enough right now to be in the major leagues. Uh, and, you know, you look at Bobby Wood Jr. for Kansas City. Is this going to help them push it, push them over the edge? They've always been kind of aggressive with their prospects, but still giving them another advantage and, um, you know, getting guys to the major leagues as quickly as possible when they are ready should be the goal here. And this helps accomplish that. Now we'll see how it goes in practice, but I, I am interested in how this is going to shake out. And it is a promising step for sure. Uh, Sam, the start to this season is so weird and different because ordinarily we would be, um, you know, for the most part, looking at settled rosters going into 2022. Uh, if this was a, a normal spring training after a normal off season, it was very much not a normal off season. So there is a free agent carousel that is still spinning. Um, that has seen some guys get paid a whole lot of money, some, uh, very perplexing deals. If you're somebody who lives in Denver, Colorado, for example, um, which I actually heard about that trade from, or the, the signing from you, uh, when you texted me yesterday, that was the first that I had seen the official Chris Bryant to the Rockies news. Um, but, you know, Carlos Correa is still out there to be had. Freddie Freeman uh, is headed to the Dodgers. There are still some huge names out there. We are also now seeing some monster trades. And I think uh, in some circumstances, some very surprising trades. Uh, Matt Chapman and Matt Olson are now gone from the Oakland Athletics. They have been shipped out uh, in exchange for a host of prospects. Chris Bassett the same way. Uh, Matt Chapman uh, moving on to Toronto. Matt Olson goes to Atlanta. We saw a ton of prospects go from Atlanta to Oakland in that deal. Uh, the A's are restocking. There have been a lot of trades. The, the Cincinnati Reds have been uh, undergoing a, a bit of a fire sale, which kind of comes as a surprise. Um, the things that have been most important from a prospect perspective uh, from the trades that have happened since the end of the lockout are what? Yeah, I think it's just what the A's system looks like now. Um, we were talking on the MLB pipeline side of like, hey, it's, it's no... Secret, you know, we're actually putting out lists this week in terms of top 10 positional lists. Team lists will be out next week. Um, top 100 will hopefully be out. Let's hear that, but we can talk about that more next week when the list is actually, actually out. Uh, but we were saying, like, we're putting together an A's list now. By the time it's out, there's going to be a lot more guys in the system because the A's had basically signaled they were on the market. They were ready to, to sell off some of their best players. And they did it pretty quickly after the CBA. I mean, it's crazy to think that the CBA was only ratified a week ago. And now three of their best players are elsewhere. And let me just read this through as, as quickly as I can here. All the new prospects that are in uh, the A system as a result of these trades, Zach Lowe, Gun Gunnar Hogland, Kirby Sneed, Kevin Smith, Christian Pache, Shea Langoliers, Ryan Cusick, Joey Estes, Adam Aller, and JT Ginn. Um, and that's just so far. There, there's rumors abound that any team is starting pitching might look at uh, Manea and Montes. Um, this A system, it it's still not perfect. It's still, the, you know, I just read off all those names. Pache and Langoliers are really the only two that are top 100 quality. And Pache, you can make an argument that he's not a top 100 prospect really anymore because the bat's not there. Um, this is not primo talent that they are adding to their system. They are adding a lot of depth. Aller and Logue are basically major league ready pitchers right now, but they're like number five types. Ginn and Hogland, 
both of those guys are coming off Tommy John surgery. Ginn's a little bit further along. Hogman's probably going to come back second half of this year. Both of those guys have pretty high ceilings. They're first round esque talents. Um, but again, they have an injury history. So there is some risk there. Kevin Smith really improved last year in the Toronto system. Um, but I had my doubts about, you know, he did it at an older age. He did it at AAA. The Blue Jays didn't really call him up that much. Um, and he struggled when he was in the major leagues. What does that mean for him? Now he's going to get a real chance you know, in Oakland when he wouldn't in Toronto because that's just a loaded infield. Fascinating to watch that. It's not, it's definitely a, like a makeover of the system, but it's not flashy. It's not huge. It's not, you know, like, I'm not going to say the A's are a top 10 system now. Is that what they're aiming for? I don't know. I don't think these are the moves or these are the pieces you pick up if you're trying to just be like, we're going for high ceiling types. It's just not here. Outside of maybe Pache, if he can hit, the, the ceiling is pretty high for him. Um, but I, you know, I'm fascinated to see what the A's are going to do with these guys now. Because if you are going to sell off a Chapman, Olson, and Bassett, those are guys you want in your organization. They're they're foundational pieces, and they have been for the A's for a few years now. At least in the case of Chapman and Olson, um, dealing them, you got to hope that the next version of them is now in their system. Because otherwise, this is even more you know, even tougher to swallow. I got to hit the unmute button when I want to talk generally. Um, all right. We are uh, talking to a guy who is present at spring training in Florida right now. You've gotten a chance to hit up some camps. Um, what has stood out most to you? What are the things that you've noticed that you've seen? Obviously, you talked about how um, the feeling of spring training is just that spring training is back, and that is outstanding. Uh, tell us more about what you've noticed. Yeah, it's the first bark of the podcast. Tell us more about what you've noticed in Florida. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of what I've, I've noticed so far is, and I thought this coming in, but it's just been kind of nice to hear from some of the people I've been talking to. And, and basically from what I've seen, to be honest, is that minor league camps for the most part in a lot of these places started a month ago in some places uh, like the, uh, the Marlins who I was talking to yesterday, they had guys down there in Jupiter in January. Um, so they're really built up at this point. And you have the major leaguers coming in for a week. Now, major leaguers, a lot of them are working out on their own back home. They're ramping up in their own ways. It's not like they're that far off. But as we look at potential Grapefruit League and Cactus League games, it might be minor league heavy because just the minor leaguers are so raring for game action. I've, I've talked to multiple minor leaguers this week, and I've been like, so where are you at right now? I'm ready to go. I just want to play games. I've been here for too long. I want to see some other players. I want to see some other pitchers, what have you. I'm ready to go. Let's, let's you know, let's get this on the road. Um, Brett Beatty said that. Corey Lee said that. I, I feel like any player I talk to, they're, they're raring to, to get going. So I think that's kind of fascinating. That's point one. In terms of guys who stood out to me, it's a lot of watching batting practice. It's a lot of watching fielding practice, which, again, don't get me wrong, is great. It's awesome to see these guys get going. Um, but until we see them more in games, I'm going to withhold too much thought uh, or too much. I don't want to get too excited about, uh, you know, somebody flashing something in batting practice. But two of the most impressive ones I saw were Jordan Walker of the St. Louis Cardinals system. Um, great conversation, too, by the way. Uh, check out a Q&A I did with him. That should be on MLB.com right now. Um, Really fascinating conversation with him on, on how he's going to build on 2021. But 
the guy is massive. He's huge. He drew a, a Chris, Bryant, Chris Bryant comp to himself. He wants to be versatile. He wants to be moving around, but he wants to show incredible power. He has the frame to do it. Um, what, I was talking to another reporter at Cardinals camp, and I was like, yeah, I'm looking for Walker. She's like, oh, don't worry. You'll hear him. You won't miss him. Wow. Yeah. You'll hear his BP. Uh, yes, you won't miss him because he stands above the crowd. He's, yeah, even like in a system with like Nolan Gorman and some of these other types, like you, you will find him because he's head and shoulders above everybody else. But also his VP is so loud, everybody pays attention. And this is when he's in big league camp now. So like Nolan Arenado was taking batting practice. Paul Goldschmidt was taking batting practice. People like to gather to watch Jordan Walker. So that was, that was great to see. And then I also saw Ronnie Mauricio today in the New York Mets system. Um, Mauricio is just pure plus power. Uh, it's all raw power right now. He did struggle at times last year in Brooklyn, but I think he could have been a 30 homer threat basically anywhere else that he played somewhere other than Coney Island. Um, so I'll keep an eye out on that. He is a switch hitter, but some of the bombs he was hitting in BB today, they were well above the batter's eye and straightaway center when he was trying to pull the ball, it was going even further. Uh, really exciting to see what he can be. If he's going to stick at shortstop, We'll see how that's going to go. It sounds like they're also giving him some looks at, in the outfield, which is what they're doing with Brett Beatty uh, and Mark Vientos, two of their other big power bats. But, um, yeah, Mauricio and Walker. If there were two guys I came away most awestruck by. Those, those were the ones this week. And uh, finally, this week's episode of the show before the show, we've got uh, some other news um, that surrounds the, the world of minor league baseball. Uh, there was a court decision this week that found that Major League Baseball owes minor league players damages for unpaid wages. Uh, case of Aaron Senny et al. versus the Kansas City Royals, technically, which was uh, in the Northern District Court of California. A ruling came on Tuesday that MLB is liable uh, for nearly $1.9 million in penalties uh, on a California wage settlement claim from the plaintiffs in that case. Um, there is so much stuff that goes into this. Uh, we felt like we should touch on it. Obviously, neither of us are, are legal experts, so we don't necessarily know all of the ramifications from this. But um, this feels like a, a pretty huge moment in uh, in this movement. Um, and obviously, it's something that uh, the baseball industry has been watching for a long time, Sam, with uh, with this case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's something, you know, we've talked about it on the show in the past in terms of player pay and, and how things are kind of trending in that direction. And one thing I've always found fascinating is the teams that are willing to pay their players more seem to have happier players. It's funny how that works. Um, but in terms of this suit being brought, um, it's it's something that it this isn't going away just because, you know, you said that the plaintiffs are entitled to nearly 1.8 or above $1.8 million in penalties on a California claim. Um, it sounds like there's also things happening in Florida and Arizona. Um, it also sounds like this isn't over. It's not like MLB just has to pay these two guys and then it's done. Uh, it's it's going to go to trial. There's going that's beginning going to begin in June. Um, so th- we're, we'll be checking in on this as the summer goes along. Um, but obviously, this was huge news um, for for minor league pay, and we'll have to see. Both, you know, what happens when it does go to trial, what the ramifications of that are, um, and, you know, just how far this is going to go as the summer goes along. So um, that's that from the Grapefruit League in Florida. Uh, We're going to step aside here from Josh Jackson. We'll be back to wrap up the show coming up next. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Miners, in which all of you out there in Radio Land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One was as real as the rising moon, the others are just a dream. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Huntington Hut Hoofs. B. The Jonesboro Zebras. See the Prairie Creek Pronghorns! What was black and white and played all over Arkansas in the early 20th C? Why, it was B, the Jonesboro Zebras. In an era when every ball player and his mother was suiting up in stripes and naming the team the Tigers, the Jonesboro Nine zigzagged their way into the Zebras moniker. Based in the natural state's Craighead County, the Jonesboro Zebras debuted in the Arkansas State League in 1909 and lasted three seasons. That iteration of the Arkansas State League, however, lasted only a few months of the Zebras' time in the sun. Founded in 08, the league opened with the newly admitted Jonesboro Club the next year on April 19, but had exhausted itself chasing the Zebras by mid-July. Two of the Arkansas State League teams, the Newport Batesville Pearl Diggers and our Hero Zebras, were doing so well at the gate that they refused to catch their Zs when the circuit folded. Instead, the Pearl Diggers dug in and the Zebras kicked until was born unto the land the Northeast Arkansas League. Beginning that same month, on July 26, 1909 to be precise, with Jonesboro's Boswell Brown serving as president. All things being equus, the Zebras kept right on winning in the new league. 42-27 and 27 at the time of the Arkansas State League El Foldo, they went 30-23 and 23 to finish first in the first run of the Northeast Arkansas League. As for the next couple years, well, can a zebra change its stripes? Evidently. <laughs> or they may fade on occasion anyway. Jonesboro rehired original manager Center Rainey for the 1910 season, but finished third out of four teams. In 1911, the Zebras were fourth out of four. And there were signs that the days of grazing the high grass were coming to an end as early as August 1910, 13 months after Jonesboro was sitting so pretty that it had outlasted the league that birthed it. The Caruthersville twice-a-week Democrat reported that the Jonesboro Baseball Association is suffering from a deficit in money matters. And team ownership announced a price increase. 50 cents admission for all adults, except for ladies in the grandstand who could continue to attend for free, and 25 cents for children. The team's statement in part read, it takes money, real ready money, to conduct a league team. 
these prices will probably prevail until the deficit is wiped out. The zebra's problems affected the whole herd. The Northeast Arkansas League began 1911 without a Jonesboro franchise and finished it on July 5th without any franchises at all. And that's how the zebras went from A to Z. Now on to the question for next time. Which of these unfortunate sons were looking for love in the miners of yesteryear? A. The Sherman Orphans. B. The Wheeling Bachelors. C. The Pocatello Mourners. Want to know the answer? Grab a hanky. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is trying to sell soda at a home run derby, and he hasn't got any pop. Final segment on this week's episode of the show. Before the show, we are getting uh, very close to our Mild TV projections for each week, oh, yeah. um, which is very exciting. We're like three weeks away from that. Pretty exciting stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, man, uh, nothing, nothing else from from my end. You can watch spring training games at MLB TV. Uh, but Milb TV coming up real soon. Yeah, it's. I just want to mark this moment right now, Tyler. We did not have to say, "Hey, AAA opening day is April 5th. No right. What. That is true. This is like the first podcast yeah. we have not had to do that. Uh, I think we may have said that last week because still, by the time we were recorded, there there was no CBA. Um, so yeah, the begin April seventh. AAA opening day is April fifth. We'll have a whole preview of what to watch on that AAA opening day on MILB TV, but. Yeah, it just hit me now. We don't have to explain that anymore. That's fantastic. I had not thought of that, and I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Uh, and all of the minor league team tweets being like, hey, just a PSA, we're starting on April whatever, no matter what happens with the major league. Uh, all of the social media staffs can rest easy. Nobody has to do that anymore. I mean, I want them still promoting when they're Right, I did like yes. it, yes. but I'm very glad that they don't have to. It's not a necessity now. Now yeah. it's just a normal, like, hey, we're here also. Which is yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that'll do it. Uh, when you head back uh, to New York, I fly back tomorrow. Um, and then I am off to Arizona in a couple weeks time as well. I will be ending the month of March in Arizona. I did five teams here. I will do five teams there. Um, getting the full spring training experience this year. So be on the lookout for all of that uh, at MLB Pipeline and at MILB.com. And uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. Uh, big shout out to Bandit, who somehow broke his cone in the midst of all this recording. And uh, for Sam and Ben and Josh and Bandit, I'm Tyler. I'll talk to you next week.